Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. everyone. Welcome back to Podside Picnic. I'm here with my daring co-host, Pete, the George Freeman to my Atticus Freeman. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, You might have caught, based on that, that we're going to discuss a zeitgeisty show while it's in the zeitgeist, while it's only on its second episode, I believe, right now. for once, we're riding that wave, and that show is Lovecraft Country, which is on HBO, and it's gotten a lot of chatter the last couple of weeks. So Pete and I figured, because we are big Lovecraft guys, um, did a whole month on him, which you can check out if you're new to the show. Uh, that was back last October. Did a lot of Lovecraft content. And I'm sure in the future, we'll do even more, and this is part of that. So um, yeah, I mean, I'm not really sure where to kick this off. I, oh. I guess... Go ahead. I've got an embarrassing confession we could kick it off. Uh, So I read the book Lovecraft Country uh, last year, back when we were doing the Lovecraft stuff, and then I went and saw uh, the Green Book, right? And I thought it was going to be the same thing. I was so damn mad that it was not the same thing. Wait, I'm sorry, that you thought... So what you're saying is that because the, um, the book Lovecraft Country talks about this kind of idea of safe travel that, that... Green Book would be, like, similar to Lovecraft Country? Yeah, well, I mean, Lovecraft Country, they're writing the Green Book. Like, it's, it's, there's a direct tie. It's just obviously not the same story. Yeah, so I guess to illustrate, to, to kind of explain what Pete means, um, one of the things that helps these characters get on the road on their journey in this story is that uh, George Freeman, the character I mentioned, um, there's an extended family of, uh, of black people living on the south side of Chicago, Shortly after post world after World War II, Atticus Freeman, played by uh, Jonathan Majors, comes home because his father from the army because his father is missing. There's a mysterious letter, which is all very good. You know, the mysterious letter is very Lovecraftian. So he comes back to Chicago, and George Freeman's profession is that he's writing, like Pete said, the Green Book, this guide to safe travel for Black Americans, which. As the show takes great care to point out, um, you were not safe everywhere, not by a long shot, even outside of the Deep South, uh, if you were black in the 50s. So that's the show's very interested in that. Obviously, Green Book won Best Picture for its version of that. I haven't seen it, I admit. But uh, yeah, I do love that you were expecting Green Book, which to me sounds like a pretty treacly movie uh, to be as... To, to, to be as int- I mean, I probably prefer Lovecraft Country, having only seen one, I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and you would be, be correct in that without having seen it. I don't have many mean things to say about the, the movie The Green Book, but it was uh uh it was very sweet, shall we say. Yeah. So this is uh, this is a really interesting hybrid and I mean Pete can 
help us out, but telling us about the book and, and the differences. Um, you know, I mean, this is a, I'll start by saying it's a, it's another, you know, very well done HBO effort, um, directing, costume design, visuals as a whole, all very nicely done. Got some very good actors. Like I said, Jonathan Majors, uh, Journey Smollett, um, and other people you'll recognize as character actors from elsewhere. And in particular, the first episode, which is all we're discussing today. So we're doing episode one right now, and we're planning to do episode two as an exclusive in the next few days. So they're both already out. Um, but, but if you, let, yep. Uh, and we did something clever here, guys. Um, uh, again and again, we heard that that second episode takes a turn. It's very different from the first. So we've made a conscious effort to watch the first episode, talk about it, and then we'll deal with the second. Because I think it's important to capture that moment. Yes. And, um, you know, that's the pod side picnic promise. We're going to go that extra mile of doing less work. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think this actually, this will actually be good because the first episode, everyone says the second one is different. A lot of people have kind of polarized opinions about where the show goes after the first episode. But the first episode, I can tell you, it takes a long time to get into the supernatural in sort of the actual realm of the story. It's, it's the episodes over an hour long and it takes probably about 50 minutes or so. To, for, like, supernatural monsters to show up. And they do show up. Uh, and then we're in the kind of fantastical realm of Lovecraft. But most of the episode is, you know, a sort of seemingly well-researched, um, certainly very invested and effortful look at uh, this black family in Chicago in the 50s. And, it, you know, like, what is a block party like? Um, what is dealing with the cops in Chicago like? What's it like to travel in the Deep South or the Midwest? Um what is the housing like? All of that like is very much at the forefront. And I think that like it's interesting because I expected the show to get uh, more supernatural earlier. And my first my biggest takeaway is that at least right away, the show is more interested in this kind of historical realism, I think, of a kind um, than the fantastical stuff. Is that fair to say about this episode, Pete? Yes, yes. And I'd further say that I prefer that choice. I think it was a good choice in the context of what they're trying to do. Um, you know, and we can disagree on yeah. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. So um, one of the things about this, one of the things, it's a technical term, is that we're exploring Lovecraftian horror, like the, the incomprehensible and the, the macabre. And we're doing it from the perspective of people uh, dealing with Jim Crow. And so you'll have situations where um, a sheriff who is clearly planning on killing them takes an opportunity to humiliate them, makes them repeat back that they're stupid, makes them, you know, beg, all of these other things. And when they come to face the monsters, well, I mean, who are you more scared of? I mean, the incomprehensible in some ways is is preferable to the comprehensible and designed to destroy you. And in some ways, that really made this show for me. Like, that connected with me on a level that I was not expecting it to, even after reading the book. Yeah, so I think you made a really important point here, which is that the evil sheriff... Um, who shows up and they're in, so to be clear, they travel from Chicago and they're going North East to Massachusetts and they meet the evil sheriff, sheriff in Massachusetts. And he's kind of the like Jim Crow, Bull Connor sheriff from central casting, uh, despite it being 
Massachusetts, and he is, you know, they have a, like a long NAACP file on him, and they know he's bad news, and they run into him, and yeah, as Pete said, he's threatening them and seeming like very likely that he's going to kill them. There's a chase scene, and a lot of other dramatic stuff happens. Um, and, and that is all, I would say, overdetermined in a sense. Uh, and, you know, things that can be both realistic realistic in a way and overdetermined within, narr- overdetermined within narrative, right? Um, just in sort of like overfulfilling our expectations. But as Pete said, when this collides with the actual, the Lovecraft mythos, it's by way of disrupting that sense of like, uh, you know, overdetermined doom that has already engulfed the characters there's a new doom on the scene and it's dynamic and it sort of upsets the balance and takes them to a whole different place. And I think that you're totally right. That's a great way of, of kind of looking at um, what, what is interesting about this show is like you take, you set up the historical tableau. That's very lovingly crafted. I mean, I, don't, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to do that. Whoops. Um, it was perfect. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I just, you can tell that there's a lot of effort uh, going into this idea of like, like they're not just sort of glossing this neighborhood in the South side of Chicago. Like, there's so much effort that goes into like, okay, here the kids have, you know, busted open the, the fire hydrant and the cops are shutting it down. They bust it open again. And here's this block party with this great jazz singing. Um, and like all this stuff is so is so important to the story and doesn't have to have anything to do with Lovecraft, right? This could be a, a story that goes in a, much, a lot of different directions. But um, that happens. And then by the end of the first episode, you're sort of just jarred out of that. And like I, you know, one reason I come to the fantastical, one reason I come to things that are very much made up like the stories we do on this podcast is because I do enjoy that kind of careful depiction of real situations, but I also love to have it wildly disrupted, uh, both for me as the reader and for the characters. And this show, um, I think, succeeds in that in the first episode. Yeah, yeah. It, it there's a there's a feeling of of oppression and weaponized fear like throughout that towards the end. It sort of flips. I, I, I feel like the people who have been under the thumb of this are simply more effective at dealing with the with with uh, the new dangers showing up, and um, and I feel like I'm going back to the same point, and that's bullshit. But this uh, looking at the book and looking at this, um, I really enjoyed the book, but this feels like. It took a lot of narration and a lot of, of, of craft construction that went on in the book and just gave you a few simple images. You know, things like the main character greeting his niece by, uh, by climbing up the fire escape and knocking on the window. Um, him going to uh, a bar to, to talk to somebody about where his father is and getting immediately blocked by the bouncer. And well, I mean, it just goes on and on. There's these little slice of my life moments that were constructed in there that really, I think, did a good job of making this feel uh, like a world rather than a story. And I appreciated that very much. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, like, you're referencing the scene where he goes to the the bar that his father, uh, the disappeared father, is a regular at. And, um, you know, like, we see the manager of the bar uh, receiving oral sex in an alleyway from a man who runs off. So there's, like... 
you know, some subtext there about like closet, I mean, not subtext, there's text about closet homosexuality. <laughs> um, there's just a lot like, like those little details where it's like someone, someone had like a novel's worth of things they wanted to say about this moment in this kind of neighborhood in, in an American city. And, you know, they, they unfurl all of those in one episode of this TV show. And I suspect what comes next, given where we end up, which is this mysterious manner, uh, the supernatural properties seemingly like that. I assume what comes next is going to be uh, very, very different. So, um, you know, again, some of you already seen that episode. So you're, you're probably champing at the bit right now to say stuff to us about it. But like I said, it's coming if you get behind the paywall and become a patron if you're not a patron already. Anyway, um, where am I going with this? Just to make the point that, like, yeah, it um, a world that the world that is being posited here. I think in the first episode does a nice job, kind of laying down that um, this is a perhaps slightly over the top, but incredibly well researched iteration of the real, uh, you know, one experience of being in the United States in that time period, and uh, that was all super interesting and i think where pete and i pete i I think that pete has unintentionally without knowing it because we didn't talk much before recording this but i think you've unintentionally managed to challenge some of my thinking here which is that i had a bunch of points coming in about how this gets away from lovecraft and i kind of have a feeling that the next episode will solidify that more for me right now i'm kind of speculating but i think that the I'm not sure it gets away from it. I think you make me make the case that it kind of inverts some of it. I don't want to go on too long here. I guess my point is just in Lovecraft, in summary, Lovecraft, the the horror in Lovecraft generally comes from having kind of the horrifying truth of the cosmos revealed to you. Like you're trying to keep it together, trying not to lose your mind. And then the truth is revealed and you lose your mind or you get killed or, you know, transform into a monster yourself. Um... And in this, I think there's a little bit of an inversion at the very least, because so far what the Lovecraft mythos is providing is just monsters, like the monsters that arrived and are kind of like, we don't know where they came from. I'm sure we're going to learn more about all that, but like they just kind of show up and act like, you know, uh, purposeless monsters. And but but again, the horror has already been revealed to these characters because they've come of age as adults in a supremely hostile world. So there's not the process of like finding out that everything is not, you know, fine and dandy is not something they have to worry about. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my fear about this, and I think this may be what you're talking about is that the next episode, given that they are on some level at the max point of powerlessness and ignorance is that the next session is going to be about the accumulation of knowledge and power. And in a true Lovecraft story, knowledge and power will never help you. And that's the point. And it'll be interesting to me to see how they handle that. Yeah, I think the key thing for me is, like, in a Lovecraft story, nothing will help you. Uh, Yeah. They they almost all end badly. I mean, the best endings they ever get are where, like, the person narrating manages to escape a situation, but somebody else got it bad, you know? Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. That, and then usually the person who escapes is quite damaged by the whole experience. So, like, you know, Lovecraft is just relentlessly dark in that way. Um, and there's a reason that we still find his work so beguiling, even though, as we discussed in detail on here, a lot of it's fairly bad. A lot, you know, certainly has plenty of issues. Like, we'd be remiss. I mean, we're 15 minutes in here. It's important to note for the purposes of the show, like, Lovecraft was himself a huge bigot, which this show addresses head on. And there's, like, a conversation early on between two characters about, like, 
what do you do with two. stories? <laughs> like two, yeah, there's like a couple conversations early on, I should say, between characters about like what do you do with stories where you know the author has riceable views or the story itself has serious issues, and um, you know the show the show practices in my mind a kind of ambivalence or dialectic balancing around that because clearly this is being put together by people who very much appreciate Lovecraft while recognizing his flaws and. You know, I'm kind of curious. I'm just curious to see where they go with that. Anyway, uh, to bring it back to what we were saying, like, this is why I guess my big if I were to be if I were to knock the show and you could tell me about the book, like, not so much a knock, but it's just kind of the reality of why you can't really do Lovecraft on screen in the mainstream culture. Now, you can't do it because in Lovecraft, characters don't do the things they're supposed to do in conventional mass cultural stories. They don't change if they, or if they do change it's only to go insane or you know transform into a fish Sprout monster tentacles. yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah they don't change they don't overcome adversity they just discover the adversity and then and then kind of you know are defeated by it um yeah. they don't have love affairs there's like there's just not there's so little grist for the milk now what people have done and what i, what I assume this show is going to do and what i assume the book did what people have done is they've taken all of the cool monsters and the aesthetics of the Lovecraft universe, and they've turned it into other stories, and that's fine. But again, that's that's not what Lovecraft is. So that's an interesting. I'm interested to see how the, how the show handles that tension. Yeah, in the book, one of the things that's most notable to me is that the the male and female character, the the male and female mains, sort of are on different tracks. Like they know each other, but the interactions they have with the beyond, if you will are in different locations at different times and you know occasionally they share information or even in conflict and here we have them riding in a car together and yeah. that there, there's definitely a different choice there unless i'm misremembering uh, you guys know what to harass me about this i did not pick up the book again before i did this but my my memory of those two characters exploring this was that they they mostly did it separately Oh, and Connor, I forgot something important. There we go. You may have heard me. I just popped a kombucha bottle. It doesn't have the same sound, but, you know. <laughs> the principle's there. Right, right. So, um, yeah, I think I'll give an assist to this show, which is speaking as someone who just wrote a 300-page novel that mostly alternates two different first-person narrators. Um, it is... And I think quite it's quite good. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Thank you. Well, thank you. Pete read it. And at some point, I'm sure we'll discuss it in more detail on the show. So thank you for that, Pete. Um, of course. I, so I think it's it was point being like it's just it's easier to scatter points of view like that um, in a book than it is on screen. I think just in general. I mean, it's been done on screen, certainly. But it's just like like recent TV shows that have done that. Like, I think one of the most frustrating things about The Witcher show was its attempt to do the different timelines and when you kind of realize they're doing different timelines, you're like, well, that's just frustrating. Not like it's not, it's why? just, yeah, why exactly? It's just, it's just <laughs> annoying. Um, so with this, like, there, yeah, there's a drive in the first episode to get all the characters in a car together. And, you know, they do it by saying, okay, the guy writing the guidebook has to go on his guide trip to explore. Um, his nephew needs to go find his dad and uh, journey Smollett shows up and she, um, you know, she, uh, it's not really clear what's going on with her. She's showed up at her sister's place, uh, to crash. And her sister says you only stay two days. So then she has to get a move on and 
then she's just in the car too which i mean that part was handled a little bit hilariously it was just like oh yeah. by the way she's coming like oh okay well she i mean i think the theory was she was going to be dropped off at her brother's house and left there but like there was a whole like that that clearly wasn't an option by the time they arrived yeah and so here's where's a writer i'm going to nitpick this show a little bit which is that let's take stock of what the flaws and failings of these three main characters who are in the car are after one episode. I think the only thing that any of them did that is like sort of classically morally indictable is everyone is going around saying um, to uh, Letty, Letty Lewis, uh, Journey Smollett's character, everyone is constantly saying to her, you didn't show up for your mom's funeral. So she's like the, she's the good looking wild child who's been doing something somewhere. And her sister was like, you know, accusing her of being high and, high and mighty because she didn't want to clean houses for a living or whatever. So like everyone's always accusing her of being the prodigal daughter. Um, and so like that, that is brought up over and over again. Like didn't come to your mom's funeral. Everyone's yelling at her about it. As Pete said, it, it stops her from being dropped off with, I guess her uncle, um, or brother. I, uh, I couldn't, yeah, but like, family member um she the, the point here is like that's and it's like that's annoying to me just because we don't know the mother or care about the mother and like i don't know if it's she's to blame for missing the funeral and the other characters don't really do anything wrong and don't seemingly have any flaws and i'm just like well <laughs> yeah like there there were two attempts that i remember and they did not land they didn't work well uh the first was where that were uh the, the main character was talking to his uncle Who's, who, his un- uncle's the guidebook writer, and made a comment along the lines of, when my dad was beating me up, me up you, you didn't step in to defend me. And like that was just like a coin dropped in the well and walked away from. And I would have liked to see a little more engagement of that or have it be left out. I'd be perfectly okay with it being left out. And then... Um, uh, there, there was something involving an overseas girlfriend, perhaps, and there was that weird relationship thing with when hit with him calling overseas to her on the phone, and but that that was it, man. And like you, you can't hang a character on that. Yeah, totally. I mean, I thought there, yeah, there was a little bit, um, just like some of that was just very thin, and that's fine. Like again, I'm, I'm, I'm just being, I'm being a, a writer in workshop an MFA workshop with this. <laughs> As I often do, I just thought it was notable that like these three to me strike they strike me as like quite virtuous and on the whole, which is again fine. Um, but like they also like there's no real tension between the three of them. There's like sexual tension between Letty Lewis and uh, Atticus Tick Freeman, um, and like you said, there's supposed to be like tension. Like the tension between uh, Atticus and his uncle is like very much told rather than shown. It's like they have that scene yeah. where they say that there's tension and there's no actual tension. Like they don't they don't get into any conflicts once they're on the road, right? So well, you know it's, And do you, yeah. do you remember the knees thing? So oh, the, the Yeah. Yeah, the uncle has shattered knees, which definitely happened at some point while he was doing the the the, the guidebook thing and he went to the wrong town and stuff. Um it doesn't really seem to play out because like for an old dude that guy can move. Yeah, I, so they I, talk about I his just, knees. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah, so it's like his knees hurting. It doesn't really like, you know, I mean, it, this is these are not huge deals um, necessarily. Uh, I, I think it does. It does kind of speak to the like the hurry that the sh- the show is like in a big hurry. It feels like pacing wise, and I think 
coming up, what I've seen a lot of tweets about the second episode, it sounds like they rushed through some stuff that it seemed like it was going to take a whole season to resolve. That's a, that's the big complaint that I've heard. Um, so yeah, maybe, maybe the pacing is just really all like way off here. And, and maybe this is ultimately just a, a show that's like, well, high production values, but like kind of thinly made about characters fighting monsters that are both historically accurate and made up. And that wouldn't necessarily be the worst thing. I do think, again, it comes back to me like the problem with, with bringing Lovecraft to screen is like you can just treat Lovecraft's mythos as a repository of monsters um, in the way that, oh, you yeah. would, that you would treat Tolkien or something. Um, that's not at all what Lovecraft is. But, like, <laughs> you know, I mean, the thing with love, like, the, the terror with Lovecraft is so existential and so kind of intellectual once it's revealed that it just does. I mean, most of Lovecraft's stories don't really work at the level of character the way that we're used to asking for. It's kind of the shattering of like a sense of selfhood uh, in the face of an incomprehensibly dangerous other or or outside forces. Um, One of my favorite things about that is that uh, the. The Cthulhu mythos features prominently in one of the earlier Dungeons and Dragons books as an option. And it, like just imagine how that works. I hit my Shugoth with my plus five Vorpal Blade. <laughs> no. Absolutely not. Yeah, I I'm trying to think off the top of my head, I think one of the very one of the few instances of conventional weapons working against a Lovecraft monster is uh, in Call of Cthulhu. Um, the, that Danish ship does like ram Cthulhu and like bursts him like a bubble briefly, and then he reforms. Um, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't really do anything, and it just kind of you know drives them all insane. And so like it doesn't really. It's it's kind of you know it doesn't put work would be putting it strongly uh, for what happened there. And sometimes I guess, light works, but that's mostly about being scared of the dark. Yeah, and like I guess like you know. In uh, Shadow over Innsmouth, like the feds come and drop a bunch of like uh, depth charges <laughs> and shoot some some frogmen or whatever. And I was thinking, by the way, that as I was reflecting on this, I think Shadow over Innsmouth, which I I think is in like a conventional literary sense, Lovecraft's Lovecraft's best work, and it's no yeah. coincidence that it's also among his uh, latest his last pieces of work. But I think that um, that is one of the the clearest instances of like a character changing in a typical narrative sense and the change is sorry to spoil shadow over insmith go read it if this is a spoiler for you but i'm gonna spoil it which is the change is he realizes he needs to go turn into a fish man <laughs> well so. and i'll tell you that's a pretty classic example of a book where i'm not a hundred percent alongside the author you, you, you know what i mean it's like uh like the the feds go in and they blow up these guys. There's no attempt to understand what's going on. And the poor hero of the story gets to turn into an immortal water-breathing dude. It's like, well, okay, it sucks, but like, I, I, I can see the gems in the poop here, you know? Um, yeah, like, it, it. I mean, again, it's his most conventional. So whether you like that or not, I, I love Shadow of Smith. Oh, I do too. I just, I just, I've been, I've been thinking about his stories and it's like trying to find like, are there points where I disagree with his fundamental position? And like, that's a game you can play, you know? Oh yeah. Um, we, I, I think one thing I'm really happy about is that this show has given us the occasion to talk more about Lovecraft because I'm always, 
going back to Lovecraft and thinking about his work. I- I'll ask you now. So the book, um, obviously, the show yeah. hasn't been. We haven't seen much of the show, but like uh, differences, similarities to the book. Um, I okay the. <laughs> The dumbest thing I'm ever going to say on the podcast. No, like fifth dumbest thing I'm ever going to say on the bud- <laughs> podcast is that the the show is more visual. <laughs> but, I mean, that's important. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, like a lot of things that were handled by narrative or simply ignored in Lovecraft Country, the novel, were dealt with, you know, visually, which I thought, you know, was done very successfully. And it's one of the ways that I think that the the show, at least so far, is stronger. Um, I also sort of feel like uh, the these episodes, at least this first one, felt relatively long to me, but not... Um, the the plot is now on rails. Like if we're only going to have two episodes in this first season, and when I'm looking at the book, the the events that we're dealing with have got to be the first fifty out of three hundred pages or so. I mean, we're not we're not going deep fast, and that's probably a good choice. I mean, if they if they want this to be you know more than than one season, you're going to have to chip away at the book in that sense. Well, I think there are more episodes coming out soon i thought right i haven't checked on this but it's like there's two oh. out right now and then they're gonna i think there's gonna be at least a few more but i mean that sure, makes sense it, I, yeah i mean I, I i guess my main question would be like given the substance of the first episode was like the first episode was like 90 percent about uh historical reality with maybe slight dramatic embellishments um and the Lovecraft stuff only answered at the end. I mean, what's the balance in the book like? I mean, I know you haven't read it in a while, but... Oh, gosh. 60-40. Uh, Lovecraft being 60. Okay, so the book... So this one is kind of like... Keep, you know... Yeah. This is kind of laying down its its realism card, if you will, uh, yeah. first. And then... I guess we'll get into love. I mean, I, I I almost hate to use the word Lovecraft just because, like, I don't know what the show is going to do. Yeah. But, well, like, I, yeah. I'm trying to be careful not to spoil here, but my, my feeling is that the book ultimately goes against the point of Lovecraftianism. It's, I, I'm making a religion. Check it out. <laughs> But uh, uh, I mean, that's I think I think some of the some of the explorations need to break the rules. And this actually is something I wanted to ask you on this episode. There are there are some real examples of people who play in Lovecraft's sandbox historically and, you know, in a modern sense that have done some interesting things. And I was just wondering if if is any of those leap out to you? Do you have a favorite? Do you like that sort of thing that, you know, well, I think the person that leaps to mind who I, I think best understood what Lovecraft was interested in uh, is Vandermeer because hmm. Annihilation um, and the whole Southern Reach trilogy, I think there's sort of a an appreciation of this kind of incomprehensibly horrible but ultimately mesmerizing um, revelation. Uh, that your you know is going to shatter your sense of what's real, your sense of selfhood, um, with its overwhelming strange powers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that Vandermeer appreciates that on a very deep level. I'm trying to think of other examples. Um, 
I'm a big fan of the Conan ones, specifically because they violate the rules so harshly. I mean, the whole idea of this stuff is like understanding it and facing it will will crush you. And Conan is like, stop using such big words. Where's the gems? And I love that. Elaborate on that a bit. Like, what? How does Conan Universe use this? Well, the, well, I mean, uh, Cthulian gods are in the Conan verse, absolutely, and huh. yeah, and so like, like he'll start encountering this stuff, and he'll be like, "Yeah, it's magic. I don't want to deal with any of this shit. Let's let's go steal the the gold snake or whatever it is." And you know, the those two, well, as you know, the those two were in in con- contact over years, and um, Howard. Uh, borrowed and arguably misused some of what Lovecraft did, and it's a lot of fun. Well, yeah, I think uh, Howard was a guy who was, like Lovecraft, a sort of miserable, lonely person, but he also, like... He wanted to believe he would have been so. I, I can't even imagine how horrible, like, like a red pilled guy he would be now if he were alive. <laughs> but like, oh god! But you know, Lo- Lovecraft went to this really, uh, to this day, like beguiling existential cosmological place with his alienation. And I think um, Howard really wanted to believe. He wanted to believe that dudes could rock, right? Like, that, yeah, that, he really. <laughs> If dudes rocked enough, they would overcome all of these problems. It's it's the that's the seduction of like the red pill ethos, right? Where if you become this imaginary alpha or Chad figure, like you will somehow no longer have feelings. You'll be insensate to the horrors of the world. You will simply you know rock and have sex and conquer your enemies and be awesome. Uh, I mean, I think that that was part of the whole Conan deal, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the the one thing I find in him that I didn't expect is he, he has a number of surprisingly strong female characters. But, you know, those those female characters are taking your head off with a hatchet. But, you know, the, the, the point is that they are masters of their own fate unless they're encountering Conan. Rules are different when you're encountering Conan. Yeah, uh, Conan's what we might call a Mary Sue. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to say that. I don't know. I'm sure, I'm sure others have said that. I had to make that joke just because the red pill guys, or like whatever they call themselves now, love to say that shit about female characters. But, uh, Incredible. Um, oh, God. See, this is what I, here's one nice thing I like about Lovecraft Country, the show. Um, it is because it's so richly intertextual, and it's not just intertextual with Lovecraft. That's obviously the predominant influence, but it opens with some shit about John Carter of Mars. Uh, and that's kind of the first that incites the uh, exchange that he has on the the bus with this uh, that uh, Atticus Friedman, ha- Friedman has on the bus with this old lady because he's reading one the you know John Carter of Mars novel and she asks about it and he explains it and she's like well it sounds like he was a Confederate soldier and you know he's like well that doesn't in so many words he's like that doesn't mean that the book is canceled and she's like I don't know yeah <laughs> and they have like I have a fairly interesting exchange about it that again like kind of lands on ambivalence but. I, you know, I'm a sucker for this kind of um, this kind of intertextuality when it's it's sort of lovingly embedded, um, and I like the, I like that the show gives us the chance to discuss all of these things kind of in tandem. It's a perfect show for us in that way because it does it does it's so aware of its influences and layer, layers things in, um, you know, with so with so many uh, Easter eggs or hooks for those of us who care about these things. I appreciate that. I, I think my big fear, and I think it might well be borne out um, 
the 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 terror that might be revealed to me <laughs> and drive me mad in the next episode is going to be that just like I don't you can't use Lovecraft just as a sort of bestiary of monsters and when you do when you start having characters who are I, I, well it, if yeah. you stare too deeply into the abyss the abyss starts staring into you <laughs> right uh, <laughs> meaning if you start staring too deeply into the abyss of uh, you know Marvel movies then everything turns into a Marvel movie uh, or whatever yes actually um, so I have uh, I, I'm, I'm just riffing here there's something I think would be fun to do maybe in October or November if you're up for it and that is a revisit of Lovecraft through his influences. Like uh, last year, a book came out called Lovecraft and Carter, which are about it's about his descendants, and it's sort of a uh, a murder mystery slash Cthulian thing. And we could examine Lovecraft Country and maybe even Conan, like just sort of like talk about where it went. I bet I could get uh, Carlo on to talk about the Call of Cthulhu games, and we could revisit that that weird video game um can you remember the name of it sinking city yes (laughs) i i think about that one a lot um i think about sinking city a lot just because it's like so not a very good game and kind of feels like a ps2 game made for ps4 for some reason yeah it kind of does but it did i there was something even though it's like just not very well made i did love the atmosphere of it for whatever reason oh yeah well the atmosphere is what it really got right yeah, there's um, just I also about like this... the fact that he was. Sorry, go ahead, Humpa. Oh, I was gonna say I just like that it was this cool, uh, you know, archaic Massachusetts city that's sinking into the into the ocean. It was just cool, you know. No, just atmospherically, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so, speaking of which, uh, did did you hear what happened to Kurt today? No, what happened? Of, of Podside fame? Well, uh, so, somebody drove into the side of his house with a forklift. <laughs> what? Kurt, yeah. I'm so I'm so sorry, man. Yeah, so uh like uh, obviously that was a terrible event, but on the positive side, you're getting a shout out on a on a on a public episode. So you're welcome. Yeah, uh sorry to hear that, Kurt. This is the first time hearing about it. And everyone, um one way you can help Kurt out is by going and reading his new venture Blood Knife magazine, which we discussed uh last week on this very show, or you can um listen to his podcast it's like parents just don't understand right is that getting the right the name right yeah yes and uh, also uh, it may be that the thing you can do to help him is to get your forklift certification just saying <laughs> yeah if you're driving a forklift you should definitely learn how to operate that heavy machinery and not do so well under the influence of any narcotizing substance whatsoever so i like to think we've all learned some valuable lessons here today <laughs> i i've said <laughs> I've said probably most of what I have to say about this first episode of Lovecraft Country. Um, we're going to revisit this for at least one more episode. Uh, no promises beyond that, but we're going to do at least the next episode for later this week. So, yeah. Thanks, guys. 21 drums on a whole bass horn And somebody beating on a, a ding-dong 